When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. It's time for another Pick'em Rewind on the best college football Pick'em Pod in the land. We're coming to you from BellyUpSports.com. He is Alan Denton. I'm Thomas Black. Alan, we have had yet another remarkable weekend of college football. Man, I am having flashbacks of 2007. To me, this is the best thing we could have imagined coming back full force 2021. After the COVID season, man, this thing has gotten off in a special way, and I'm so excited to feel what seems like it's just going to be an upheaval, kind of crazy weekend and week out in college football this season. Oh my gosh, it's it's been incredible. Upsets galore. There are really only a couple of really super dominant teams, and, and that makes for a lot of great weeks of college football. It is going to be so much fun. Can't wait to see more upsets on the road ahead. And uh, Alan and I are here with you to try and work our way through it, try and pick out some of those upsets and try and give you some of the best picks for the College Pick'em Contest on ESPN. So, Alan, if you're ready for it, let's go ahead and jump into a rapid recap to check out what happened with our Pick'em Slates in Week 5. Let's run it back. Alan did a great job this past week. He scored 44 points and is still in the top 10. He went 7-3 and in his picks. His hits were Alabama at a 10, Georgia at 9, Wake Forest at an 8, Oklahoma at a 6, Ohio State at a 5, Oklahoma State at a four, and Auburn at a two. The misses were Oregon at a seven, Notre Dame at a three, and Wisconsin at a one. Alan, I mentioned it already. You are still in the top 10 in a tie for 10th place with 184 points after the week and 11 points back of the lead. How are you feeling after a strong, strong week five? Hey, I'm still in the top 10, and I believe I'm one point closer to the top than I was last week. So, uh, just just keep kind of creeping uh, creeping towards the top and stay in that top 10, uh, top 12 area and 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 just let the chips kind of fall where they may, especially as we move into ga- like weeks where there's going to be a, a lot of different types of variety of picks. So it's going to be um, a, a lot of fun uh, the rest of the way out. Allen is certainly one point closer to the top of the pack. That is a good week for him. For myself, I came away with 43 points, also going 7-3 and three in my picks. It was interesting that uh, we both ended up with the exact same picks all across our board. We mentioned last week on our pick and pod that we had a lot of similarities, but we ended up with the exact same set of picks, just in different point values. For me, the hits were Ohio State at a 10, Oklahoma at a 9, Wake Forest at an 8, Georgia at a 7, Alabama at a 5, Auburn at 
at a three and Oklahoma State at a one. The misses were Oregon at a six, Notre Dame at a four, and Wisconsin at a two. And Allen, as a result, with the 43 points, I've climbed my way up to 195. I was in first place a week ago, and this week I'm in a tie for first place with a faithful listener of the show, Bruce. We both have 195 points, and we are collectively one point ahead of our third place contestant. So right now, things are feeling really good. We talked about it a week ago. Being at the top of the pack feels awesome. But I'm going to try my best to stay in a state of mind that understands that, you know, the foundation has been laid, but a lot of work has yet to be done because right now, five weeks in, we've still got nine weeks to go. There is a long way to run in this race, Alan, and uh, I'm here for it, ready to go with another big week ahead. Oh, yeah. I mean, you're you're still where exactly where you want to be, right? Everybody's envious of you and Harbaugh's khakis with uh, with Bruce, <laughs> and so um, that's that's just big time. So you're where everybody's gunning for. We certainly are. With Bruce and I tied for first place, we are gunning it out for the top two prizes in the pack. First place is going to walk away with a performance package 4.0 from Manscaped and a one hundred dollar Visa gift card. And second place is going to walk away with a Yeats pair of sunglasses plus a $50 Visa gift card. So Alan, we've got some cool stuff available. Like you said, Bruce and I collectively are in a wonderful position. You're not in a bad spot yourself, uh, but we're really heading into those next couple of weeks where we're probably really going to start to understand who's truly in contention for some of these prizes. Exactly. It, it feels like that we're getting to that point where it's there's it's going to be separation time and there's going to be some different groupings um, you're going to want to be at that at that top. As we dive into the Pick'em Rewind, Alan, let's uh, start off with wh- somewhere you want to run. Uh, what kind of game would you like to look at as we look back at week five and all the stuff that we learned with these matchups on our Pick'em board? Well, we'll start with uh, the Nooner. Uh, I think we learned that Wisconsin truly is an awful football team. <laughs> 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 you know, I, Graham Mertz was inefficient and then Wolf came in and wasn't any good e- either. Um, they really miss Jack Cohn, who transferred to Notre Dame. I mean, Michigan dominated time of possession, 34 minutes to 25. They dominated yards, 365 to 210. And defensively, they dominated forcing three Wisconsin turnovers to only one of uh, their own. You and I both took a chance on Wisconsin at home and it did not pay off for any of us it was just that was that was just ugly to watch they looked totally incompetent with uh, Paul Chris calling the plays again this year yeah this was one was an interesting one it was interesting to me that Wisconsin was actually favored in this game you know you said we took a risk in a sense we kind of did because when I saw the matchups come out my gut instinct was to go with Michigan but as I thought about it some more I was looking at that Michigan game against Rutgers this is what I told you on Saturday when we ran into each other I I looked at that Michigan game against Rutgers where they were outgained and they were really shut down in the second half and I thought man if Rutgers was able to do that to Michigan surely Wisconsin's defense is going to have some same success Uh, that's what I thought going into it but Wisconsin's offense was absolutely shut down Cade McNamara actually played a pretty solid game throwing for nearly 200 yards and a couple of touchdowns Uh, but you're exactly right. I mean, this Wisconsin offense is terrible and uh, it puts so, so much pressure on the defense, something that they can live up to for a little while. uh, But after a full game of the offense really producing nothing, it really just isn't going to work out for a defense that really can be special in a lot of ways. 
Yeah, absolutely. It it's it's a bit unfortunate, honestly. Alan, let's go ahead and look at another game that uh, was on our pick'em slate. This one, I think, was in the mid afternoon, if I remember correct. But Oklahoma State beating Baylor twenty-four to fourteen. This is one that I didn't watch a ton of, and now as I say it, I think it was in the evening actually. But Oklahoma State really was in control of this game. It felt like from the bits of it that I saw from the very, very beginning. Spencer Sanders, we've been waiting on him to have a bad performance. He actually threw three picks in this game, but Baylor's <laughs> offense wasn't good enough to make him pay for it. Uh, I know, man. It's crazy. Oklahoma State, just they have a knack for winning ugly games, and they've done that this year with the exception of two weeks ago when they got really good Spencer Sanders. Um, but their defense and running game puts them near the cream of the crop for um, for that Big 12. Um, like you said, Spencer Sanders turned the ball over three times, but they can really, really run it. Jalen Warren is just phenomenal, and that defense is going to keep them in pretty much every game. I was uh, warning our listeners about Baylor a couple of weeks ago when they faced off against Iowa State. Now, they happened to win that game, uh, but we talked about it on the Pick'em Rewind after. Their offense really didn't produce much of anything. Oklahoma State had them locked up. We mentioned the three interceptions from Spencer Sanders. Uh, Baylor got zero points off those turnovers. And their offense only produced 10 first downs in the game, only 280 yards. It was a mess. And uh, they made the game kind of close in the second half. But Oklahoma State, to their credit, with all the miscues, all the turnovers, they were able to have separation pretty much for the most part throughout this game. Yeah, I mean, they they clearly had they were in control for the for the most part, and so that that wasn't anything that I was ever too too worried about. Um, again, if if Sanders doesn't turn the ball over two or three different times, then it, it shouldn't have been as close as it was. Alan, what's the next game you want to look at on the Pick and Rewind? Hey, let's let's go to another one we both got wrong. How about uh, Notre Dame and Cincy? I mean, looking back at that game um, and seeing the stats, Desmond Ritter for Cincinnati was just unreal. Um, <laughs> you and I were watching this game together. Cincinnati was up ten to nothing um, on twenty gained yards. I mean, <laughs> you just you just can't have that happen. Notre Dame turned it over three times. Um, obviously, both of us missed that game, and that one hurt. We again. Brian Kelly typically doesn't those teams don't typically play that bad he figured he'd want it a little bit extra since it's his former team and and he had walked out on them but hey kudos to to them and this has really big playoff implications in my opinion yeah it certainly does I think Cincinnati's alive for the playoffs something that I don't think either one of us imagined they would be at this point uh, but with the chaos that we've seen across all of college football, this seems like the type of year that Cincinnati might actually have a legitimate chance. Yeah. Oh, yeah. That, exactly. A couple of other things fall their way, and I think they're they're in great shape. And the biggest thing that has already fallen their way is there's not going to be anybody from the Pac-12 to battle with, right? You're only battling with people from the, the Big Ten, um, maybe the big 12 if if oklahoma can 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 run the table and then uh the sec 
We'll see about Oregon. I don't know. I'm not going to write them off yet off of just one loss. After beating Ohio State and a loss to Stanford, I I think they could still be in play, especially if we see losses pile up for some of these top programs around the country. Interesting. I I think that, as we'll talk about in a minute, I I think that they're too inconsistent offensively. They're going to lose another one. Well, I'm with you there. I mean, if I'm projecting whether they're going to be there with one loss, I think that's a different thing. I mean, I'm with you. I think the Ducks probably lose another game. But I'm saying I think they are theoretically still alive with their resume and what they have on their schedule remaining. That's fair. Yes. I see what you're saying. You were on it with this one. I mean, Desmond Ritter, uh, he was better than the combination of Jack Cohn, Drew Pine, Tyler Buckner in this game for Notre Dame. He threw for about 300 yards, had two passing touchdowns, one rushing touchdown. He had one turnover with a fumble, but it was those early turnovers that built Cincinnati out to a 17-0 halftime lead, and uh, Notre Dame just could not quite come over the hump to get back in it. Alan, let's move over to one where, hey, we tried to call for an upset with Notre Dame against Cincinnati it didn't work out for us but we were both on an upset with the Auburn Tigers going to LSU and coming away with a 24-19 win and man in this one Bo Nix was the difference I don't think either one of us would have imagined so but Bo Nix in this game really was awesome he was incredibly dynamic I mean he had two plays where I mean he was just he looked like a a, a, (laughs) I texted a buddy and and I was like this guy looks like a uh a poor man's Johnny Manziel. And he said, yes, a very poor man's Johnny Manziel. But nonetheless, the comparison, I think the the way that he just, he scrambled and yet still made just dynamic plays with his arms um, was remarkable. And, and it was the difference in the game. Yeah. I mean, going into this one, I had projected, I thought it was going to be the, on the legs of, Jarquez Hunter and Tank Bigsby in this game, but really LSU defended the run well. They slowed those guys down and they forced Bo Nix to make some plays and credit to him. He did an awesome job. There were three or four times in this game where, man, it looked like he had absolutely no hope sacked in the pocket or running around so far out toward the sideline that he was sure to go down, if not just throw the ball away. But even his touchdown pass early in the game on fourth down, nonetheless, to, yeah. to scramble all over the place, be pinned up on the sideline, have a guy in his face, a guy coming to the side, and then find a receiver open in the end zone. I mean, it really was an awesome performance from Knicks. It, it was. It, it felt like just you know backyard play that he had he had greased himself up, and you know he's like a Fabio and and oiled himself up so nobody could tackle him. He just ran around until he finally had somebody that he just could toss that tater to, and and then just a, a just a miracle touchdown. Certainly. Alan, let's already go ahead and talk about the one we mentioned before, Oregon falling in overtime to Stanford 31-24. We were both on the wrong end of this one. In the same territory, I had Oregon at a 6, you had them at a 7, but Tanner McKee and the Stanford team, they're pretty good offensively. They're not great, uh, but they can cause some problems for some teams in the passing game. Yeah, absolutely. I already have a win over uh, USC and got a win over Oregon. That's a, that's a pretty good year for, for David Shaw. And, and an otherwise I would say pretty disappointing start. Yeah. Um, the PAC 12 is, as we kind of talked about, could be in trouble. Oregon just is not consistent enough offensively. Um, as you mentioned, Tanner McKee was, was incredible. Now, were they the beneficiary of some fortunate calls to yes. keep them in that, like on that last drive with <laughs> even that late pass interference on the last time down? 
Ooh, man. Like, so based on the way I picked this, and, and you know, this isn't something we got to discuss last week, but based on the way that I picked this one, I I really had one of those gut feelings, the Nostradamus type effect that one of Oregon, Oklahoma, or Ohio State was going to go down. But I couldn't decide which one. And so I put Oregon at the top of those three bracketed games. Mm. And, of course, that was the one that ended up going down. So I was like, Dad, Jim, it um, just uh, <laughs> sometimes sometimes it just uh, just punches you right in the, the old goober pouch. Yeah, I mean, I'll tell you, honestly, looking at it from my standpoint, I had it one point level lower than you did. I didn't have a ton of faith in Oregon in this game. I, I th- was leaning slightly toward them winning it, but I really thought it could go either way. And, and to me, I was looking at it going in thinking, man, an upset in this thing isn't going to surprise me one bit. Stanford has been pretty good passing the ball. We've seen Oregon's defense. I told you on Saturday, they're talented. They've got stars all over the place. They have five-star talents at linebacker on the defensive line. But for whatever reason, last year and this year, Oregon's defense really hasn't lived up to the billing as far as the talent they've brought in. And so I thought that Tanner McKee could really cause them some problems. I figured it was going to be a pretty close game. And, you know, it took a couple of calls from the refs there late. Uh, But give credit to Stanford. They got the job done. Yeah, well, and I didn't even realize until after the dang game that Joe Moorhead wasn't calling their offense that day because he was in the freaking hospital. Yeah, he had some kind of surgery on Saturday, and uh, I haven't heard a report on exactly what that was or what his prognosis is going forward. I hate to hear it. Uh, It sounds like it was... I don't know if it was an exact emergency situation. I don't want to call it that if it wasn't, but uh, I think it was along those lines somewhere. Yeah, I think it was, and it, it doesn't sound like for at least the next couple of weeks that he's going to be um, that he's going to be calling plays again. So we'll see kind of what that what that means for them. Um, but again, on the road, it still took a couple of fortunate calls. But um, that, what a fun game and what a fun ending that one was. Certainly, another injury note in this one is that C.J. Verdell, the running back for Oregon, went down with an injury. I have not heard an update on exactly what that is, but it sounds like he's probably going to be out for at least a handful of weeks. I'm not sure if it's a season-ending injury or not, uh, but that does sound like it could be uh, medium significant, at least, for Verdell and that Oregon backfield. Alan, let's Mm -hmm. go ahead and move over to the SEC, where we have a couple of teams that really dominated their games. Alabama on top of Ole Miss, 42-21. to I warned people, hey, watch out for this Ole Miss team. This game can be close. They went for a bunch of fourth downs early in this game, (laughs) and if they had converted any of them, I would have been interested to see what kind of game it would have turned into. But how it ended up, I certainly don't think Ole Miss was ever going to win this thing, but it would have been interesting to me if we had seen Ole Miss, Lane Kiffin and company score some early points, especially on that first drive down the field where they're down at the Alabama five-yard line going for it. I couldn't blame them at all. I thought they needed to get seven points on the board quick, but uh, it really snowballed once Alabama got ahead of them. Oh, uh, yeah. I mean, they they played desperate from the very beginning. Um, and I, I like playing aggressive and, you know, going for it, on, you know, if you're driving the ball and on, the, you know, the, the Bama 35-yard line or something like that, I got no problem with that. But you, when you start playing desperate and stupid like Lane did, he has such a hubris about him that sometimes gets in his own way. 
and it clearly did. And I appreciate the fact that after the after the game, he he owned up to it, and he said that you know, evidently forgot to to plug the microwave in because the popcorn didn't pop. And um, so, <laughs> uh, Bama just I I didn't think um, Bama was going to lose this game any way, shape, or form. Um, which is this this is the type of game that just Saban doesn't lose. And so that's why I had him up so high. Um, and goodness, that, that Kiffin made it a lot easier on him. Certainly. Alan, one of the things that I was concerned about with this game was Alabama's rushing attack. Uh, we'd seen it just slowly develop as the season went along. They really got shut down against Florida, but they had a lot of success in this game, especially Brian Robinson. He went for 36 carries, 171 yards, and four touchdowns. Robinson had an awesome game, and to me, it took a little bit of pressure off of Bryce Young and this passing attack that has still been very, very good, but not as explosive as the last couple of years. Yeah, absolutely. He is pretty dynamic. Like you said, not as explosive, but he he reminds me of um, of TJ Yeldon back in the day, uh, about eight to ten years ago. And uh, he does nothing super great, but he he's not overwhelmingly dynamic. But he he just does everything pretty doggone well. Absolutely, Alan. From one SEC power to another, let's look at Georgia's shutout of Arkansas. We don't have to spend a lot of time on this one. 37 nothing in favor of the Bulldogs. They were out from the get-go scoring, blocking punts for touchdowns, just doing everything they needed. Complete domination from Georgia. Yeah, and here comes a, a bad dad joke. It was more like woo pig pooey on that one. <laughs> sure enough. <laughs> that one was, was ugly. Uh, I think, you know, Georgia's established themselves to be the best team so far in college football, their defense is just absolutely suffocating and dominant. Um, this one, you know, I, I felt kind of was over before it even started, even with uh, old JT Daniels not even playing. Yeah, JT Daniels being out wasn't a concern whatsoever. This is the note that I took down, Alan. Stetson Bennett came in. He threw the ball 11 times. That's not 11 completions. He passed the ball 11 times in this game versus 56 runs from the Georgia Bulldogs. They knew the game plan. They knew exactly what they wanted to do. They just ran it all day long and picked up 273 yards on the ground. It was an impressive performance and took some pressure off of Stetson Bennett and just established their will against Arkansas. And hey, we'll see what happens with JT Daniels. His his status is still kind of in doubt for this upcoming week against Auburn. Yeah, which, you know, for this week, I could see that becoming a potential problem. But, uh, you know, I just felt like Arkansas had really been building up um, a lot of momentum, had won a couple of great, uh, really important games. They were coming off an emotional high. Going on the road like that against a team with just a suffocating defense, I just did not think that that was a good mix. And, my goodness, they they just ran it down their throats. From one blowout to another, Alan, let's look at the Buckeyes beating Rutgers 52-13. to This one was over, you know, what, 10 minutes into the game? Something like that. Yep. But the Buckeyes with a big, big win and a lot of offensive firepower on display on Saturday. Man, I had Ohio State way too low. I was hesitant to go high on them based on past performances. That was a, a stupid mistake. Um CJ Stroud was incredible this week with 330 yards and five touchdowns. Alave finally broke out. 
They turned Rutgers over five or three times, excuse me. That was interesting because Ohio State hadn't played up to their billing yet. And then based on last week when Rutgers gave Michigan more than a scare, I mean, they missed a field goal that would have tied the game, at, you know, within the last minute or two of that game. And so that just kind of stuck in my mind. And I put that way too heavily. And man, Ohio State was played their best game of the year by far. Definitely. I, I told you on Saturday, we were kind of debating back and forth where this game should have landed. You took the Buckeyes at a five. I had Ohio State at a 10 at the top of my values. I, I looked at you and I said, man, Rutgers does not have the offensive prowess to run with a team like Ohio State. And, and I'm with you. Ohio State hadn't really displayed its full you know, onslaught of with its offense quite yet to this point. Uh, but I still had faith that Ohio State was going to score, I don't know, I thought maybe 35, something like that. But I had no clue it was going to be 52 and just blowing out Rutgers right from the get-go. Oh, yeah. I mean, just whooped them. It just right from the get-go. It, the, like you said, game was over 10 minutes into it, and you, you didn't even have to turn it over. You knew that one was done. Alan, let's move over to another offensive uh powerhouse that we've seen in recent years but a team that hasn't been so offensively dominant this year Oklahoma beating Kansas State 37-31 in a game that sure the score was really close but Oklahoma really pulled away for chunks of this game they led by 17 a couple of times in this one and uh, it, it really felt like Oklahoma was asserting its will on Kansas State as they went throughout this one. This this is kind of an Achilles heel of Oklahoma, though, right? They get up by 10, 17, 20 points, and then they just completely lose focus and let off the gas. And it got to the point where statistically this was essentially a stalemate, sure. even though a lot of Kansas State's offense came in the second half. Um, I think the key looking at it was Oklahoma held Kansas State to 100 yards rushing in, in total. Um, even with Skylar Thompson playing again, um, Oklahoma's defense is, I think, is pretty good uh, this year. I, I think they've been more impressive than the offense has been to this point. Um, but yeah, I, they they got the job done, even though it got a little dicey late. Yeah, I'm with you. I, I think the defense has been leaps and bounds better than the offense, which is the most surprising part of what Oklahoma has done this year. I mean, last year they were certainly showing signs. I thought their defense was good a year ago. So it, it's not surprising to me that they're good. It's just been the drop-off of the offense has been astounding. But a couple other notes that I had in this one, Kennedy Brooks got going a little bit in the running game, something we've talked about here on the podcast about this running game with Oklahoma. He had 15 carries for 91 yards and a touchdown I think that helps out a little bit and uh, you mentioned Skylar Thompson already but Alan this was one that surprised both of us because the word all last week was that Skylar Thompson was still going to be out that the expectation was he was getting close but not quite ready and then all of a sudden I texted you after we'd seen each other earlier in the day and I said man did you recognize Skylar Thompson's been in this entire game and he's the one really keeping Kansas State alive in this thing it was surprising to me to say the least and I'm glad that it didn't cost either one of us because if I'd known he was going to play, I would have had Oklahoma at a lower value than I did. <laughs> yes, I, I agree. I probably would have had them at that five instead of Ohio State. I'd have at least bumped them up a little bit. So yeah, I, I definitely would not, if I'd known that, would not have played it exactly how I did. The final game that we look at in our Pick'em Rewind is Wake Forest coming away with a three-point win in a shootout with Louisville, 37-34. Alan, this is one that you included on your value picks a week ago, 
And man, I went with you. I agreed. We both took Wake Forest at an eight in confidence. And man, we kind of got away with this one because it was back and forth. Louisville looked like a serious competitor for Wake Forest. Uh, but the, the better team came out and won and benefited us in our, uh, in our picks. Yeah, Louisville's really figured it out offensively with Malik Cunningham. But Sam Hartman at home did just enough. And how weird is this, that the Demon Deacons are the ACC's only hope pretty much for a playoff contender is, uh, you know, I, I just can't even fathom that um that concept but they survived and looking back on it that wasn't a, a great pick uh move but uh, you know pushing them up still got the eight points at the end of the day certainly I mean I thought going into this one I had a little bit of concern about Louisville's offense I thought that Wake Forest was going to get some stops they really didn't much of the game uh, but I thought that worst case scenario Louisville could keep it close they certainly did they certainly actually had opportunities to possibly win this game uh it was a little bit more scary than i thought it would be uh but you know it works out sometimes that way and i'm certainly glad that we both picked up our eight points in this one agreed all right alan one other thing to address before we get out of here for this episode is in week five no one won the 25 dollars visa gift card that is up for grabs we did have one person though go nine and one in their picks. That was Blaine Napier from Belly Up Sports. He went nine and one and scored 48 points, only missing that Oregon game, a really impressive slate from Blaine. Uh, And to contend for that $25 Visa gift card, what we're looking for is a perfect slate going 10 and 0 in your picks, plus the closest in the total score tiebreaker. That's just to differentiate between uh, if there's three or four or five, however many people that go undefeated in a week, that's just to separate that out and and get one winner as we go through. So, Alan, it was an impressive week by Blaine. And uh, at some point, we're going to have one of these perfect slates go through in one of these weeks. Yep, it's going to happen. There's no way I think it happens this this week, but at some point, <laughs> at some point, I think it's definitely going to happen. It'll be interesting to see when it does and who gets the rewards of the good week. Of course, you can always follow the show on Twitter and Facebook at The Blackout Pod. And of course, one of the best ways you can help us out is by rating and reviewing the show on Apple Podcasts. Alan, we've got a busy, busy week six ahead of us. That's coming up in our Pick'em Pod coming up next. So thank you so much for your time, sir. And uh, man, like you alluded to, this is going to be one heck of a week ahead. <laughs> yeah, man. Let's, uh, let's dive in. Thank you for listening to this Belly Up Sports Podcast Network product. Some said we go belly up, so we made it our name, and we're still here.